They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The same woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus is now left alone with this woman standing in front of him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, So there's still this crowd, okay? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you don't know where you are from or where you are going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bear witnesses of witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? I just always think of Darth Vader. Where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The words he spoke, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Skip down to verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What did he say? I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Well, wait a minute. Did they not even know their own history? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, what? You are free indeed. Thank you, Nancy. So Jesus went to Vegas this June. Julie Good, if you are listening, I hope I'm making you proud right now. You know, her, I loved her messages. I love the language that, that God has gifted them to bring to the body of Christ, Christ in me, right? We, again, just as a review, he's not outside of us somewhere over there, and he's not way above us somewhere over there. He is within us, right? So Christ went to Vegas this June to bring light to Fremont Street, 
and to celebrate my son's 30th birthday. Isn't that a great Jesus? I love my Jesus. This is a picture of Fremont Street. What is What struck me um, was the artificial light. We just got through reading that Jesus is the light of the world. Vegas is filled with artificial light. There is a, that up above, as you can see, there is a, a little LED fiber optic screen that creates a, its own atmosphere in Vegas, and you walk through that. Everyone in Vegas, everyone that I met, everyone in Vegas was trying to be someone else. Even if it was only for a day, even if it was only for a night, they were trying to be someone else. The bartenders on Fremont Street, they were trying to be these amazing, you know, like what you see in the movies, you know, where they could flip the things, they wouldn't spill it, and then, gosh, it got ruined for me. So I was like, that is really awesome. Well, they have a little lever in there, and they, that's why they don't spill anything. I was like, oh, that's not talent. That's a sleight of hand, right? They were trying to be something else. The musicians were trying to be something else. Everybody was trying to be something else. You had, you had um, peddlers trying to be somebody else. You had contortionists. Anything you can imagine was there, all trying to be someone, something else. Everyone had a hustle. And it was, you know, Melissa and I were talking about my daughter, Melissa. We were talking about it, and she's like, you know, Mom, in a sense, it's kind of impressive. There wasn't a lot of just panhandling. Everybody had a hustle, and they were trying to get you to stop for their hustle so that you would give them some money. There's one man, I should have taken a picture of it. He actually had drew a chalk circle in, on, on the ground, and he had a box, and it says, position me any way you want to, and I'll hold that position until somebody else positions me. And he had a little thing out there. So people, of course, their game, you know, so they're like, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, you know, and he was doing all of that to make money, contortioning his body to make money. But my favorite was the homeless man who used honesty as a hustle. He had a sign and he says, I'm not going to lie. His sign read, I need your money to buy alcohol and weed. His hat was full. Everybody, even in that, appreciated the honesty. And he told you right up front what he was going to do with the money that you gave him. But as we walked down Fremont Street, I noticed that everyone was just bound up in a strange combination of fear and desperation. Everyone, everyone from the attendants to the bartenders to the, to the people that were there, it was a combination that was very tangible of fear and desperation. They were desperate to be somebody else. They were needing to be somebody else to make money. They were wishing they were somebody else as they took your money. And it was just the kind of place that the love of God thrives in. I could feel such a sense of expectation when I stepped onto the street. Daphne, go ahead and do the Facebook video. I didn't know how to pull this down, but I want to give you a little glimpse. So Megan and Melissa and I, we did a bucket list item, and we ziplined Fremont Street. And one of our friends caught the, caught the video, maybe. 
There you go. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. There we go. Megan's out ahead of all of us. Oh, it's going to repeat. And the scariest part of the whole thing actually was right there when they hit the brakes. And you're like, whoa! Okay, thank you. That's it. So we did a bucket list item and we ziplined Fremont Street. And it was amazing to be up above and looking down on what I just stepped into. Because you see, we're still covered under artificial light. And even when you're covered under artificial light and you still have perspective, it's not true light. Okay? So we get off of the zip line, and there is this woman. Everybody kind of just goes and you know, everybody's going to go discover whatever they're off and doing. So Melissa and I, she goes, I've never been to Fremont Street. I said, I've never been to Fremont Street. Let's take a walk. There was this woman who was dressed in bondage stuff. You know, she had a little whip, and she was going around whipping everybody. And it was at that moment that I could feel Holy Spirit go, mm, you ready? And I was like, oh, I'm so ready. Okay, what's it going to be? And she comes in, and she's doing all this stuff. She turns, and she looks at me, and she goes to, to flail the little whip, and then she's like, well, hey, Mama. And I'm like, well, Hello. And she comes a couple steps closer. She goes, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine. And then I could feel it, right? I made eye contact and I said, how are you? And she held my gaze and she goes, you know what? It's been a long night. And I said, I bet it has. And I said, are you doing okay? She goes, I'm making it. And I'm like, okay. And then she goes, thank you. For what? Thank you. She reaches in and instead of, smacking me with a whip, puts an arm, gives me a quick little side hug, and goes on, and I'm like, oh, we're in. This is so going to happen. This is going to happen. We're walking along. We're chit-chatting. Melissa and I are looking at the lights, looking at this, and all of a sudden, this very tall Jamaican man passes me, and it's very crowded, and, and I'll think of the sounds, right? You've got casinos. You've got four bands going on. You've got the noise of everything. There was a very large cloud of smoke in the air that is not it is not you know wood smoke okay it is smoke in the air everybody has a beverage in their hand all of this stuff is going on that's the atmosphere that jesus jesus is encountering as he's walking down fremont street and so this jamaican man comes and he put he's walking by and he hits my shoulder really really hard and i was like as he touched my shoulder i was like and I, I looked up and I saw a little boy and I saw a soul that was in a lot of pain. And he kept on going. And I was like, wow. And I just kind of looked and I was like, oh. And we continue to walk on. The man turns around and finds me in Lisa. Stands in front of me and says, I am so sorry that I hit you. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. And then he goes, no, I'm really sorry. And I hear the Holy Spirit go, mm-hmm. and I went, oh, this is that. Okay. And I looked at him, and I made eye contact with him, and I saw his soul, and I saw the little boy, and I saw the pain. And I looked at him intently, and I said, it's okay. 
and I put my hand out, and when I put my hand out on his arm and made contact with him, I said, I see you. I get it. And it's okay. And tear began to roll down his cheek. And he's like, thank you. And he walked on. And Melissa was like, oh, my God, Mom, what's this? Did you just get hit on in Fremont Street? I'm like, no. But she goes, well, then what was all of that? I said, I just got to see his soul. Oh, you can't see someone's soul. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Well, what do you mean you can see a soul? And for the next 20 minutes, I got to have the most amazing conversation with my daughter about the spiritual nature of how we are made and how we are created and how God wants to encounter people and how if we have our open our eyes, Lord, we can see. We can see what Jesus sees because he doesn't look the way that we look. He doesn't make eye contact in the same way that we make eye contact because he judges not according to the flesh, but he judges according to the spirit. And he will take you on one of the most amazing adventures if you will let him every single day of your life. And so we had been packing around a $20. I had been packing around a $20 bill. It was a joint. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. It was a community $20 bill. Can't talk about Vegas and joining the same conversation. Okay. No, no, no. It was a community $20 bill because we, Megan and Melissa and I had, had sat and we'd been sharing these nachos and we'd been watching this parade of people, the showgirls that would come and they would, we would try to entice you in to get pictures because that was, you know, how they were making the money and they were dressed in all kinds of costumes. Well, then you had the male, you had the female, you know, versions of all of this and we began to speak about the exploitation of women. And we had the most amazing conversation as women. And my daughter looks at me and she says, Mom, she goes, let's make a pact before this is over with. Let's find, let's find a pair of, of these showgirls that, that we know is the right and let's give them that 20 bucks. I'm like, you got it. So the next days are spent, what? Watching, looking, anticipating waiting for the ones that God is going to say, this is it. Well, lo and behold, here we are, Fremont Street. We're walking along, and all of a sudden we come around the corner, and there they are. And I didn't even have to say a word. I looked at Melissa, and she looked at me, and she nodded her head, and I nodded my head, and like, this is them, and we're so excited. I'm like, okay, God, because by now I am jacked. I'm like, this is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to see what God does. We come around the, come around the little bend there, and they're standing there. And they start the, hey, baby, would you like a picture? And I'm, I walk right up, and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. And just kind of looked at me and said, oh, I said, this is beautiful. And they were. They were beautiful. They had emerald green feathers. They were beautiful. I said, this is beautiful. But you know what is more beautiful? And one lady looks at me, she goes, what? I said, this. This is what is the most beautiful. And I said, you have a beauty that is God-given. You have a beauty. And on for the next, I don't know, maybe minute, minute and a half, two minutes, God began to speak blessings to these two women to the point where the one gal is standing there and she's holding herself and she's going like this. She goes, I don't, I'm, I don't know what this is. She goes, but I, just, I have chills. I have chills. The other woman has tears just rolling down her face. And I said, you know, I don't know the pain that has brought you to this moment. But I want to tell you something. You are seen, you are loved, you are no, okay, no scripture, no verse, no religion, the love of God speaking blessing. And, and all of a sudden, inside of my soul, I was like, you know what, if my baby 
was on Fremont Street, dressed in emerald green feathers. I would hope that one of God's children would encounter her and remind her of who she is. Well, then I went into complete mother mode. And any of you that have mothered by me knows what that looks like. And so I was just like, I am coming in. And we embraced, and the woman was trembling. She goes, we just want to give you the picture. Well, we took the picture, but then we gave them the 20 bucks. And they're like, what? And the gal says, you know what? I feel like I can go on today. What did that mean? I have no idea what was going on in her heart. But she goes, I feel like I can go on. And so then Jesus continued on down Fremont Street. And it was just the most amazing, powerful encounter of the love of God. Because I am free, because he has set me free, I am free to love as he wants to love. And that is our inheritance. I told Megan and I told uh, Melissa, I said, well, if I lived in Vegas, I would have a booth on Fremont Street. And it would be, it would be a soul care booth that says, let me tell you your hope. And, and I, would, I would camp there. That would, be, that would be where I would live. The passage of scripture that we read begins with these Pharisees dragging a woman without the man and demanding judgment. You see, in Jewish law, it took two to condemn you. It had, you had to have two witnesses. They just bring her. So already they're disobeying the true law, trying to say that, no, we are abiding by the law hypocrisy at its greatest, and then asking the teacher to weigh in on this. I want to focus on the fact that Jesus wrote in the dust. As a rabbi, as a rabbi, when when he would come and when, when a Jewish rabbi was teaching, he sat. Did you notice the number of times that Jesus sat? When he was going to make a, a ruling or a declaration, they would always stand. In that passage of scripture, Jesus declared to her, go and sin no more in a standing position. He declared to her these things. But when he was, when he was teaching or making judgment, he sat. That is the compassion of our Savior. The powerful thing is, is to be written in the dust. In Jeremiah 17, 13, it, Jeremiah says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake thee shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from these shall be written in the dust, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. To be written in the earth, written in the dust. What happens to anything that is written in dust? Is it permanent? What's that? It goes away. A wind could sweep it away. So to be written in the dust is to say you're not tangible. You have no, you're of no effect. You are temporary. You are fleeting. You are not substantial. Those who do not trust God, who depart from the Lord, who allow their heart to deceive them into not properly responding to the truth of God, their names are just going to blow away like something written in the dust. And Jesus, they knew that. These that brought this woman knew the Torah. They knew exactly what he was doing. And as he began, I believe, this isn't scripture, this is opinion. But I believe that as he made that, they, would, they referenced back to this verse in Jeremiah, and then they saw their own names being written in the dust. Because the opposite of being written in the dust is to be written in the Lamb's book of life, to be written for all eternity. That's why the Jesus says, I will write your name forever 
in an ink that doesn't get to be blotted out, right? Forever our names are written. It's permanent. There's nothing temporary about the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us. We are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The second part of the scripture that is that is was so alive to me, especially being in Vegas, was the fact that he says, I am the light of the world in that context. In that context, he says, I am the light. By nature, what is dark is revealed when you bring it into the light, right? Spiders, cockroaches, snakes, dirt, dust, <laughs> your laundry that you haven't done. You flip on that light. I mean, you can pretend and turn the light off, but the minute that light comes on, it's all right there, right? Jesus judged. He says, I judge no one. Do you realize that the, the Christ in you, the indwelling life of Christ, your job is not to run around and judge whether or not this is holy, unholy, right, wrong, bad, ugly, good, whatever. Your, your job is to walk the dusty streets of Fremont or Fino, the Clearwater Corridor. Your job is to show up to the life of Christ that is in you and allow him to love. That is your job. God will judge. That is his job. But right now we're in a season in which Jesus is saying, all who will come to me will be mine. Just come. We're in the season of life where he is drawing and wooing and calling and longing for those who would turn to him and receive him as their savior. He's longing to bring people into the kingdom for eternity. Julie said something so powerful last week, if you were listening. He says, sometimes we so focus on the temporal. But everything that Jesus does is of an eternal perspective. Everything is eternity. If we were to, if we were to handle our lives as if everything that we did was of eternal consequences, I'm telling you, things would change. Conversations would change. The way we love would change. But Jesus, as he's speaking, he talked about being the light of the world, but he talked about being firm in his identity. I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. You see, you can love like, like Jesus loved on Fremont Street if you're firm in your identity. Number three, check. Okay. So if we are firm in our identity and we know where we are going, if wherever the Lord calls us, we can accomplish the purposes that he has set for us. So that is really key. Do you know who you are? And do you know where you're going? You know, not telling everybody else, Kelly, you know where you're going, right? Do you know? Do you know where you're going? He was also secure in his love of and by the Father. Do you know that you were loved this morning? How can you give the love that the world is so desperately in need of if you do not understand it for yourself? 
If there's an area in your life that you just don't feel loved by the Father, take advantage of this opportunity to get before his face and say, show me, show me how you love me. Because he wants to give that to the world. Jesus was secure in his love, so give his love from your place, in your heart, of your identity, of knowing it. And guess what? It's going to be so variegated and beautifully different that it will meet the needs of the world who is variegated and very different. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I love it when he says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I had the smile of the Father on Fremont Street. I could feel it. There was not one moment I was afraid. There was not one moment that I was cautious. There wasn't one person that I encountered that I didn't feel like I couldn't see or couldn't be around. There was no fear. And I went, oh, 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 this is that. Perfect love casts out fear. I get it. When Jesus is loving, there's no fear. It's powerful and it's beautiful. We have been we have been rehearsing freedom for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Now, isn't this just like the heart of God, knowing that we're slow on the uptake? And he's like, okay, I'm going to have to create a rhythm of your being so that you would understand that freedom, it is for freedom that I have set you free. Okay? So the, the festival of, this is the, the festival of weeks, right? It begins in the first of Nisan, and it ends with Pentecost. So we have these preparations, the whole Passover. What was that all about? Freedom, freedom, freedom. It is at the echo of the heart of God. And so for thousands of years, the children of Israel in their cycle have been rehearsing freedom, 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 until one day Jesus would fulfill the ultimate freedom and set them free forever and in eternity. Do you realize it's part of our cycle? Easter is about freedom, the culmination of the experience of redemption, it started with the blood, blood of lambs was Israel's redemption, and it ended with the giving of the law at Sinai. That's, that's the natural progression. For us, it was Yeshua's blood, the lamb who was sacrificed for the sins of the world, the lamb. It resulted in worldwide deliverance and the giving of Holy Spirit at Zion. The covenant at Sinai made the nation Israel. And the new covenant at Zion made the people of made us the people of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. The goal of Passover was to set us free to become God's treasured people. A light to the nations. Did Jesus not say that? What am I doing now? Wait. Oh, here we go. Okay. Come hell or high water, we're going to have freedom. This is so funny. This is so funny. He thinks he's so sneaky, and he's so not sneaky. All right. We're going to talk about the blood of Jesus that set us free, Satan, from your nastiness. The goal of Passover was to set us free to become God's treasured people, a light to the nations, ambassadors for heaven's voice. Now, isn't that interesting? trying to cut off the voice, but we are ambassadors of heaven's voice. Everywhere you go, 
Christ in you is speaking about the Father to the world. You are his ambassadors speaking of the Father everywhere you go. Love it. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is therefore the climax of redemption, imparting the presence of the Comforter, comforter to help us live sanctified lives. As Julie was talking about, the life, you know, the life of Christ in us is by faith. It's not by our works. And Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live a sanctified life. Guess what happens when you're trusting Holy Spirit to sanctify you? Sin stops being an issue of condemnation, guilt, shame, fear. It stops because you realize Holy Spirit is more committed to you than you are to you on your good day. Because his job is to bring you into the image of the Son, and he will accomplish it. There's nothing he can't do. So we can trust him. Even when we feel like we've completely failed and flopped and done a poor job, Holy Spirit says, nope, I'm going to use that because all things for your good and his glory, all things for your good and his glory, it's not the failure that you think it is. Get up, oh my soul. That's our comforter. That is a great comfort to know that he's got us. We can rest in him then, even when we mess up and we get it wrong. We can rest in him. I love that. You know, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, okay? um, because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus started his ministry with what? Freedom. He opened up that scroll that day and he made his announcement to the world that he was here by saying, I have come to declare to you liberty. If that was the first of his ways, that should be the, the first of our ways. Every conversation when we are out on the Fremont streets of this world shouldn't be about Oh, you sinner going to hell, it's, oh, do you know the good news of the victory of Jesus Christ, that the thing that has held you in the bondage has been conquered and it is under the blood of the Lamb and you are free to love God? What? Oh. Maybe I am going to have a beautiful ministry. To bind up is the Hebrew word shavash. And you know what it means? It's really interesting. It means to restrain. He restrains the woundedness. Just taste that like chocolate. Have you ever been in a situation, and we've got a, a, a beautiful Melissa right now. You know, she has woundedness. She's lost her mama, and her best friend. Long, beautiful life of loving, right? That kind of grief, it, if it was left unrestrained, what happens? We, we get overwhelmed, right? And it can become very, very dark. Do you realize that the beautiful Holy Spirit, the love of the Father, actually will restrain that woundedness from overtaking you? He says he restrains the woundedness of the broken heart. It will not overtake you. So then guess what? If you know that you are your woundedness and your brokenness is safe in the hands of your Savior, you get to feel what you need to feel. You get to cry the tears that you need to. You don't have to mask up. You don't have to pretend and be somebody else because you know that you can do whatever it is that you need to do and you're going to be safe because he's not going to let it get out of control. He will restrain it from overtaking you. 
What a beautiful ministry of our Messiah. He restrains the woundedness of the nishbarlev, the brokenhearted. Now, that is very interesting because in the Hebrew word, the lev part of it, it speaks about our inner life. It literally is a picture of a staff and a house. So it talks about he restrains the wounded and brokenness of our inner poverty, our mind, our will, our emotions. Jesus gets into the middle of our mental messes and our pain and our depression and our anxiety and our, our worthlessness feelings and our over-the-top pride moments and our we-know-it-all moments. And he gets into the middle of that. And he says, let me heal that and bring that to me. Let me bring you liberty. Let me bring you freedom from that captivity. Has, have, has your mind ever held you captive? Oh, my gosh. Insomnia, what is that but a captive mind? They won't shut off. You're held captive by your thoughts. Jesus is like, I can bring you rest. I can restrain that. I can get in there. Those with a broken heart know that they are inwardly shattered and they cannot control their own lives and they need divine help. I saw that on Fremont Street when I looked into the eyes of these that were trying desperately to be somebody else for a moment. They needed divine help. They didn't need my money as much as they needed the reality of the love of God for them. In this passage, do you realize that healing is what ultimately leads to deliverance. He first of all binds up the brokenhearted, and then he takes the prisoners out of prison. Why do we try to do it opposite every single time? Healing precedes deliverance. Why can't we be patient with people in their messes? Why can't we be patient with the brokenness and move as healers? My daughter and I made our rounds, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I hope we don't get left on Fremont Street. So we better find out where everybody else went. So everybody was landed, I think it was the Golden Nugget. Is that where we were at? So everybody had landed at the Golden Nugget and made our way in there. There was this woman that I had literally bumped into because we were checking out all the bands. Good 80s bands were playing, you know, good 80s music. And um, this woman was, had been in front of me, beautiful Latino woman. And she was dancing the musical. She had kind of stumbled, and she'd fallen back into me, and I caught her. And she turned around and looked. She goes, oh, I'm so, so sorry. And I literally, out of my mind, I was, oh, you are so beautiful. And for the next 30 seconds came, oh, no, I'm not. I'm this. I'm that. I'm blah, I'm blah, I'm blah. And I said, stop, woman. I said, you're beautiful. Don't say that about yourself. And then all of the Bible studies that we've been doing lately, all that material of I'll be there, but I'll be wearing sweatpants came rolling out of my lips. And she got a fire hydrant of who she is as a woman. And don't talk that way. And pretty soon the tears are streaming. She goes, you know what? Okay. And I am all right. And I am here. And I'm okay. And I'm like, yes. Well, as we walked into the Golden Nugget, guess who was walking out? And we ran into each other again. She goes, it's you. And I said, oh my, it's you. But this time, I watched my daughter for the next 10 minutes speak an amazing blessing over this woman of how beautiful she was because we got to hear her story, of course, as it comes rolling out, right? We get to hear the story. And my daughter blessed her. 
and then come to find out, guess what? She has a daughter the same age as I do. And guess what? Her relationship with her daughter was broken, and she was grieving that. So God used my daughter to mend the heart of this woman who in Vegas, we're in Vegas. And we're standing in the doorway of the Golden Nugget on a hot summer night weekend, Vegas, and not one person interrupted, walked through, It was as if God just put this great big bubble because there was a divine conversation that was happening that needed to happen. The lady looks at me, she goes, well, what is it that you do? (laughs) My daughter laughed. And I said, well, and I tried to explain. And she's like, you know what? I'm in social services and I take care of the people and I'll come all this stuff. And then she looked at me, she goes, what is your name? And we both just looked at each other for a minute because we were almost afraid of the answer. And I said, Christina, she starts weeping. She goes, my name is Christina. At that point, my daughter throws her hands up and says, I'm out. She's like, I don't know what has just happened, but I am out. We ended up taking a picture with her as well. Healing leads to deliverance. Relationship. Liberty is a word picture that denotes the swift, straight flight of the swallow. Freedom of movement from constriction, bondage, jubilee, Liberty is Jubilee, where your inheritance is restored. The year of Jubilee, where everything gets given back. Do you realize we walk in that? Do you guys have an inheritance that has been devoured? Do you have locusts that have been eaten away at the promises that God has said, this belongs to you? Promises made to you about your children or your grandchildren or your family? Do you realize I have come to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord, his Jubilee? We walk in jubilee. Your inheritance is to be restored. You know what kind of a message that is to people who feel like everything in their life has been devoured? And you can say to them, oh, your jubilee has come. The year of the favor of the Lord is upon you. This is good news. Good news. So freedom, right? Freedom from what? The idea of liberty, of freedom, has taken on a life of its own in our modern world, right? Okay? It's all about our freedoms. And it can be easy to lose track of the context of freedom. So freedom from what? For what? The founding fathers of the United States had a particular oppressor in mind when they cried liberty, right? English rule. More specifically, the U.S. founders, freedom meant government on the consent of the governed rather than the authority of kings, right? So it was very much a government. Yet in this struggle for independence from Britain, the founders were not afraid to speak of liberty in grandiose terms. Well, let's remember our history. We hold these truths. Can anybody remember? That all men, that they are endowed by their creator, certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and We started as a nation with liberty being a core component of who we are. One nation, we're under God. The cry for freedom can produce both peaceful elections and it can produce mob violence. Isn't that interesting? What began with national freedom from foreign rule can quickly devolve into a cry of freedom against our own chosen government when it turns out that we don't like something. And we have seen that manifested over the years. The cry for freedom unchecked soon pines for individual liberty from any outside authority, however 
human or divine. What is interesting is that in 1992, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 92, he says this, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Oh, that's scary. If it's up to me to define my own existence, I'm in trouble. I need divine help. Paul writes in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So the tendency to submit ourselves back into slavery is going to be very real if we don't pay attention. Who has Romans 8.1? We've been... Right. So we've been free from guilt. Romans 10.11. Right. There is no shame. So what have we been freed from? From what? Guilt. Shame. First Thessalonians five nine. We've been freed from wrath. Who has Second Timothy one ten? We have no fear of death. He has abolished it. We've been freed from the fear of death. Romans 6.14. You have been freed from the bondage of sin. Galatians 3.13. You have been freed from the curse of the law. Galatians 5.1. That legalism. You're free from legalism. Colossians 1.13. You have been freed from Satan's dominion. You are free from his dominion. Well, if you're free from his dominion, guess where you can walk? Anywhere you want to. It can't touch you. You're free from his dominion. So freedom for what? So from what? We just read those now. For what? So what then? Paul in Galatians 5.5. 5. Through the Spirit. It's critical in understanding Christian freedom. The Holy Spirit changes us. He takes out the old natural heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. He gives us new desires. He begins his lifelong sanctifying work in us and we become new. And then he frees us to be adopted as sons and daughters. And he frees us for the inheritance of all things, which means that freedom in Christ, so freedom for includes 
the things of the earth that God has given us to enjoy him. Stop feeling guilty because you like to catch walleye or bass or swim in the river. Sorry, that was Pentecostal. Because you like to cook amazing food. Because you like the way certain colors look on your skin. Stop it. He has given you the freedom to enjoy all things. What did Paul say? All things are lawful. Maybe not all things are expedient, but they're all lawful, right? You've been given freedom to experience all the things. It's your inheritance. The great news, the covenant prophecy in Jeremiah 31 captures so well the freedom from and the freedom for the Christian life. In Christ, we have freedom from. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And listen to how Jeremiah casts the freedom for. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their heart and their desires. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each teach his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Are you worried about your children knowing Jesus? They shall all know me, says the Lord. We can trust him. His word is true and it's steadfast. We get all caught up in the works part of it. Well, maybe, maybe you know, I'm not doing enough for them to understand. No, God promises they're going to all know me. That's your inheritance. Hold on to it, mamas and grandmas and daddies and aunts and uncles and nannies, right? Hold on to that promise. So for what? Who has Hebrews 10, 19? We can approach God. So for what have we been freed? So that we can approach God. Galatians 4, 7. <laughs> we have been freed to relate to God as his child and his heir. Ephesians 1, 3. We are free to partake and to enjoy every spiritual blessing. Not just one or two. You get them all. Don't you love that? Don't you just love that? You get them all. You don't have to pick and choose. They're all yours. Philippians 4, 6. You have been freed to bring your concerns and your requests to God. You're free to do that. He's not going to turn a deaf ear or, or push you away. You're free to come to him and say, this daddy is what I need. This is what I'm struggling with. Help me. 2 Corinthians 6, 15 and 7, through 17. We are free to walk with God throughout this life. Because you know what? 
we are consecrated and set apart because he's in us. We are little set-apart ones walking along in this world, and that in and of itself makes us unique and strange and causes people to go, hey, Mama, how would she have known my Mama heart except that God has a Mama heart? And she felt safe to come close. You see? Consecrated, set-apart. Ephesians 2.10. you realize that you have good works that God prepared for you to do? Every one of you, your unique good work, he prepared before he knew your name, before you knew your name, he prepared for you to do this. You're free to do them. You're free to do the things that he has set apart for you to do. John 14, 2 through 3. We are free to enter heaven, beloved. We are free to enter the room that has been prepared for us. Free. And my favorite, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows of God. Christian freedom is for enjoying what we were made for and who we were made for. God in Christ. Christian freedom is for enjoying what we were made for and who we were made for. God in Jesus Christ. Justification by faith frees us to love others. It frees us from the burden of earning our standing with God. It frees us from being fixated on our status and our deeds. And it liberates us then to love others, to give attention to their needs and to take the initiative and to expend effort to meet them. Do you realize that was my only part in that whole Fremont Street wonder? Christina, would you just show up? Would you walk down Fremont Street? Would you expend the effort to meet the ones I want to love on. Would you do that for me? Says the Lord. And he says that of all of us. Will we expend the effort in the grocery store to not hold our head down, push our cart at fast breakneck speed and get the heck out of there? Would we expend the effort to make the contact with those he wants to love? That's our part. And he does the rest. We are free to love. No one is off limits to the love of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Vulnerability, by the way, this is going to be a message for another time, but vulnerability is the antidote to shame. If you're taking notes, I want you to, I want you to, to, um, Take note of that. Vulnerability is the antidote to shame. The enemy will do anything and everything that he can to keep you from being vulnerable when you are in your most shamed mood. 
If you will know that, you have a number one tool. Because if you will just be vulnerable and say, you know what, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I messed up, I failed, I screwed up, I wasn't a really good example of the love of God, please forgive me. If you would just walk in that, shame loses its barbs. It's like fishing with a barbless hook. And I know there's a place for that. <laughs> but if you want to catch them and bring them in the boat, you got to have them. Anyway, it loses its power on you. Vulnerability is the antidote to shame. When I got back from um, Vegas, one of the gals that I follow, her name is Liesl Graham, and she's in Scotland. And when I go to visit you guys, you've got to take me there. I've got to meet this woman. It's very rare that I find someone that actually that I just, just their words are like, you know, moves me to tears and I'm like a mush puddle. But she just has a way. And I thought it was interesting. I come back from Fremont Street, still, you know, raw from the encounter, questioning God. And here's this poem that she wrote. It was in my inbox that day. And the, the title of it was, If I Were a God Called Love. If I were a God and I called myself love, I would look out of my window for you, listening for your footsteps, every now and then pulling back the curtains as I go about my godly duties, not just in the cool of the evening, but in the velvety, peach-skinned mornings, too. I would lean in close to watch you sleep, gently kissing the top of your head, before I climb out of the window on my way to the woods where the bluebells wait to be woken up. In your dreams, you might hear me, how I whisper your name, how it has always lived inside my mouth. If you sit very still, you might remember the sound of my voice calling you back, calling you to something new. How I said with my God voice that sounds like a mother. See? You look just like me. See the way that your hips flare and the round of your breasts and the richness of your belly? These ripe things? All the things that I love are made to look like me. When you look in the mirror, you will see me. When you look at a stranger, any stranger, you will see my face. Isn't that wonderful? My wrinkled god arms would stretch from east to west. The soft skin of my underarms would flap with joy whenever you come to visit. Whenever you knock on my holy door, standing there with all of your fear and regret, holding guilt in your small hands, why, why do you do this? I would say, there you are. Please put that down. Leave it outside. There's, there's no place for it here. I have missed you so much. Come. Come inside, out of the cold. Out of the cold with me. Come and sit down by the fire with me. Do you mind me knitting? Mind the cat? And how is your heart? Pass me a cup and let's have some tea. I read that. And my heart just burned inside of me. Just burned. Because I could just feel Holy Spirit say to me, So, if you are God named love, what would you do? 
that question in front of you. I wrote the first draft of that. Um, would you two come and get prepared and ask them to sing a song to think about our, our question today? But here's my poem. If I were a God named Love, I'd... Just bear with me. If I were a God named Love, I'd find you in the evening on the dusty strip of Fremont Street. From across the way, I'd watch as you hoisted a smile to your face out from under the weight of those emerald green feathers that you strapped to your back this afternoon before you left your one room flat on the wrong side of town. I'd marvel at the bravery of your attempted illusion of being seen as you think you are, but I would know better. And I would wink at you through the smoke-filled haze, and you would smile, really smile. And somehow being seen this way would make your eyes water as you choked out your standard, hey, mama, how about a picture? If I was a god named love, I'd cross the street as you would motion me in, my weathered hands would straighten your crown of green, brushing against the tear rolling down your cheek. And I would marvel at its diamond-like nature, speaking softly of how great pain often produces great beauty. We'd lean in for the camera, for my fridge, I'd laugh, as thoughts of home come rushing at you like a train. Yeah. That's where the heart is, right? You look away as your hands hold on just a little longer after the click of the lens. I'd slip you the 20 I had in my pocket just for you. You shake your head too much, but I know it's not enough. If I were a god named love, I'd find you in the evening on the dusty strip. So our question is, what bondage is holding me back from loving myself and others in the manner that Christ desires to love? And how do I need to experience freedom for knowing God? Let's just sit with that for a minute while you guys sing us a song and then we'll close in prayer.
worship team, if you want to come back up. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. May we take this, this freedom. May we tell this world about you, Jesus. No one is off limits from your love. No one. So, Lord, I just ask that you would help us as a body to transition our thinking and our language and our understanding into this reality. That this indwelling life that you paid for, Lord Jesus, is free to love everyone. No one is off limits. And Father, I just ask that you would make us radical lovers. Thank you, Father, for your freedom. Jesus, stand with us.